0: Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Jaded YA Reads, a YA read-aloud podcast for tweens, teens, and adults. On our last episode, we read chapters 7 and 8 of the YA fantasy classic Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne Jones, with permission of HarperCollins Publishers. We followed along as our heroes worked to evade a mysterious scarecrow, we learned of Michael's relationship with Martha, and we donned seven league boots with Sophie and Michael to journey to Letty at Mrs. Fairfax's, only to discover Howell there already. checking in on Howell's situation with the king. Chapter 9, In Which Michael Has Trouble With a Spell It was the sea captain at the door, come for his wind spell at last and not at all pleased at having to wait. If I miss my tide, boy, he said to Michael, I shall have a word with the sorcerer about you. I don't like lazy boys. Michael, in Sophie's opinion, was far too polite to him, but she was feeling too dejected to interfere. When the captain had gone, Michael went to the bench to frown over his spell again, and Sophie sat silently, mending her stockings. She had only the one pair, and her knobby feet had worn huge holes in them. Her gray dress by this time was frayed and dirty. She wondered whether she dared cut the least stained bits out of Howell's ruined blue and silver suit to make herself a new skirt with, but she did not quite dare. Sophie, Michael said, looking up from his 11th page of notes. How many nieces have you? Sophie had been afraid Michael would start asking questions. When you get to my age, my lad, she said, you lose count. They all look so alike. Those two Lettys could be twins, to my mind. Oh, no, not really, Michael said, to her surprise. The niece in upper folding isn't as pretty as my Letty. He tore up the eleventh page and made a twelfth. I'm glad Howell didn't meet my Letty, he said. He began on his thirteenth page and tore that up, too. I wanted to laugh when that Mrs. Fairfax said she knew who Howell was, didn't you? No, said Sophie. It had made no difference to Letty's feelings. She thought of Letty's bright, adoring face under the apple blossom. I suppose there's no chance she asked hopelessly, that Howell could be properly in love this time. Calcifer snorted green sparks up the chimney. I was afraid you'd start thinking like that, Michael said. But you'd be deceiving yourself, just like Mrs. Fairfax. How do you know, said Sophie. Calcifer and Michael exchanged glances. Did he forget to spend at least an hour in the bathroom this morning? Michael asked. He was in there two hours, said Calcifer, putting spells on his face. Vain fool. There you are then, said Michael. The day Howell forgets to do that will be the day I believe he's really in love and not before. Sophie thought of Howell on one knee in the orchard, posing to look as handsome as possible, and she knew they were right. She thought of going to the bathroom and tipping all Howell's beauty spells down the toilet, but she did not quite dare. Instead, she hobbled up and fetched the blue and silver suit, which she spent the rest of the day cutting little blue triangles out of in order to make a patchwork sort of skirt. Michael patted her shoulder kindly as he came to throw all 17 pages of his notes onto Calcifer. Everyone gets over things in the end, you know, he said. By this time, It was clear Michael was having trouble with his spell. He gave up the notes and scraped some soot off the chimney. Calcifer craned round to watch him in a mystified way. Michael took a withered root from one of the bags hanging on the beams and put it in the soot. Then, after much thought, he turned the doorknob blue down and vanished for twenty minutes into Port Haven. He came back with a large, whorled seashell and put that with the root and the soot. After that, he tore up pages and pages of paper and put those in too. He put the lot in front of the human skull and stood blowing on it so that soot and bits of paper whirled all over the bench. What's he doing, do you think, Calcifer asked Sophie. Michael gave up blowing and started mashing everything, paper and all, with a pestle and mortar, looking at the skull expectantly from time to time. Nothing happened, so he tried different ingredients from bags and jars. "'I feel bad about spying on Howell," he announced as he pounded a third set of ingredients to death in a bowl." He may be fickle to females, but he's been awfully good to me. He took me in when I was just an unwanted orphan sitting on his doorstep in Port Haven. How did that come about? asked Sophie as she snipped out another blue triangle. My mother died and my father got drowned in a storm, Michael said, and nobody wants you when that happens. I had to leave our house because I couldn't pay rent, and I tried to live in the streets, but people kept turning me off doorsteps and out of boats until the only place I could think of to go was somewhere everyone was too scared of to interfere with. Howell had just started up in a small way as Sorcerer Jenkin then, but everyone said his house had devils in it. So I slept on his doorstep for a couple of nights until Howell opened the door one morning, on his way to buy bread, and I fell inside. So he said I could wait indoors while he got something to eat. I went in, and there was Calcifer, and I started talking to him, because I'd never met a demon before. What did you talk about? said Sophie, wondering if Calcifer had asked Michael to break his contract too. He told me his troubles and dripped on me. Didn't you?" said Calcifer. It didn't seem to occur to him that I might have troubles as well. I don't think you have. You just grumble a lot, Michael said. You were quite nice to me that morning, and I think Howl was impressed. But you know how he is. He didn't tell me I could stay. He just didn't tell me to go, so I started being useful wherever I could, like looking after money so that he didn't spend it all as soon as he'd got it, and so on. The spell gave a sort of woof, then, and exploded mildly. Michael brushed soot off the skull, sighing, and tried new ingredients. Sophie began making a patchwork of blue triangles round her feet on the floor. I did make lots of stupid mistakes when I first started, Michael went on. Howell was awfully nice about it. I thought I'd got over that now. And I think I do help with money. Howell buys such expensive clothes. He says no one's going to employ a wizard who looks as if he can't make money at the trade. That's just because he likes clothes, said Calcifer. His orange eyes watched Sophie at work rather meaningly. This suit was spoiled, Sophie said. It isn't just clothes. Michael said. Remember last winter when we were down to your last log and Howell went off and bought the skull and that stupid guitar? I was really annoyed with him. He said they looked good. What did you do about logs? Sophie asked. Howell conjured some from someone who owed him money. Michael said. At least he said they did, and I just hoped he was telling the truth. And we ate seaweed. Howell says it's good for you. Nice stuff, murmured Calcifer. Dry and crackly. I hate it, said Michael, staring abstractedly at his bowl of pounded stuff. I don't know. There should be seven ingredients, unless it's seven processes, but let's try it in a pentacle anyway. He put the bowl on the floor and chalked a sort of five-pointed star around it. The powder exploded with a force that blew Sophie's triangles into the hearth. Michael swore and hurriedly rubbed out the chalk marks. Sophie, he said, I'm stuck in this spell. You don't think you could possibly help me, do you? Just like someone bringing their homework to their granny, Sophie thought, collecting triangles and patiently laying them out again. Let's have a look, she said cautiously. I don't know anything about magic, you know." Michael eagerly thrust a strange, slightly shiny paper into her hand. It looked unusual, even for a spell. It was printed in bold letters, but they were slightly gray and blurred, and there were gray blurs, like retreating storm clouds, round all the edges. See what you think, said Michael. Sophie read, Go and catch a falling star. Get with child a mandrake root. Tell me where all past years are or who cleft the devil's foot. Teach me to hear the mermaid singing or to keep off envy's stinging and find what wind serves to advance an honest mind. Decide what this is about. Write a second verse yourself. It puzzled Sophie exceedingly. It was not quite like any of the spells she had snooped at before. She plowed through it twice, not really helped by Michael, eagerly explaining as she tried to read. You know Howell told me that advanced spells have a puzzle in them? Well, I decided at first that every line was meant to be a puzzle. I used soot with sparks in it for the falling star and a seashell for the mermaid singing. And I thought I might count as a child. So I got a mandrake root down and I wrote out lists of past years from the almanacs, but I wasn't sure about that. Maybe that's where I went wrong. And could the thing that stops stinging be dock leaf? I hadn't thought of that before. Anyway, none of it works. I'm not surprised said Sophie. It looks to me like a set of impossible things to do. But Michael was not having that. If the things were impossible, he pointed out reasonably, no one would ever be able to do the spell. And, he added, I'm so ashamed of spying on Howl that I want to make up for it by getting this spell right. Very well, said Sophie. Let's start with decide what this is about. That ought to start things moving, if deciding is part of the spell anyway. But Michael was not having that either. No, he said. It's the sort of spell that reveals itself as you do it. That's what the last line means. When you write the second half, saying what the spell means... That makes it work. Those kind are very advanced. We have to crack the first bit first. Sophie collected her blue triangles into a pile again. Let's ask Calcifer, she suggested. Calcifer, who? But this was yet another thing Michael did not let her do. No, be quiet. I think Calcifer's part of the spell. Look at the way it says, tell me, and teach me. I thought at first it meant to teach the skull, but that didn't work, so it must be Calcifer. You can do it by yourself, if you sit on everything I have to say, Sophie said. Anyway, Surely Calcifer must know who cleft his own foot. Calcifer flared up a little at this. I haven't got any feet. I'm a demon, not a devil. Saying which, he retreated right under his logs, where he could be heard chinking about, muttering, lot of nonsense. All the rest of the time, Sophie and Michael were discussing the spell. By this time, the puzzle had got a grip on Sophie. She packed away her blue triangles, fetched pen and paper, and started making notes in the same sort of quantities that Michael had. For the rest of the day, she and Michael sat staring into the distance, nibbling quills and throwing out suggestions at one another. An average page of Sophie's notes read, Does garlic keep off envy? I could cut a star out of paper and drop it. Could we tell it to Howell? Howell would like mermaids better than Calcifer. Do not think Howell's mind honest. Is Calcifer's? Where are past years anyway? Does it mean one of those dry roots must bear fruit? Plant it? Next to dock leaf? In seashell? Clove and hoof, most things but horses. Shoe a horse with a clove of garlic? Wind? Smell? Wind of seven-league boots? Is howl devil? cloven toes in seven-league boots, mermaids in boots? As Sophie wrote this, Michael asked equally desperately, could the wind be some sort of pulley? An honest man being hanged? That's black magic though. Let's have supper, said Sophie. They ate bread and cheese, still staring into distance. At last, Sophie said, Michael, for goodness sake, let's give up guessing and try doing just what it says. Where's the best place to catch a shooting star? Out on the hills? Port Haven marshes are flatter, Michael said. Can we? shooting stars go awfully fast. Michael and Sophie stood, each with a boot ready on the ground in front of them, waiting for one of the stars to move. After about an hour, Sophie had to pretend she was not shivering for fear of worrying Michael. Half an hour later, Michael said, May is not the right time of year. August or November is best. Half an hour after that, he said in a worried way. What do we do about the mandrake route? Let's see to this part before we worry about that, Sophie said, biting her teeth together while she spoke for fear they would chatter. Some time later, Michael said, You go home, Sophie. It's my spell, after all. Sophie had her mouth open to say that this was a very good idea. When one of the stars came unstuck from the firmament and darted in a white streak down the sky. There's one! Sophie shrieked instead. Michael thumped his foot into his boot and was off. Sophie braced herself with her stick and was off a second later. Zip! Squash! Down far out in the marshes with mist and emptiness and dull glimmering pools in all directions. Sophie stabbed her stick into the ground and managed to stand still. Michael's boot was a dark blot standing just beside her. Michael himself was a sploshy sound of madly running feet somewhere ahead. And there was the falling star. Sophie could see it, a little white descending flame shape a few yards beyond the dark movements that were Michael. The bright shape was coming down slowly now And it looked as if Michael might catch it. Sophie dragged her shoe out of the boot. Come on, stick, she crowed. Get me there. And she set off at top hobble, leaping across tussocks and staggering through pools with her eyes on that little white light. By the time she caught up, Michael was stalking the star with soft steps, both arms out to catch it. Sophie could see him outlined against the star's light. The star was drifting, level with Michael's hands, and only a step or so beyond. It was looking back at him nervously. How odd, Sophie thought. It was made of light. It lit up a white ring of grass and reeds and black pools round Michael. And yet it had big anxious eyes peering backward at Michael and a small pointed face. Sophie's arrival frightened it. It gave an erratic swoop and cried out in a shrill crackling voice. What is it? What do you want? Sophie tried to say to Michael, do stop, it's terrified. But she had no breath left to speak with. I only want to catch you, Michael explained. I won't hurt you. No, no! The star crackled desperately. That's wrong. I'm supposed to die. But I could save you if you'd let me catch you. Michael told it gently. No, cried the star. I'd rather die. It dived away from Michael's fingers. Michael plunged for it, but it was too quick for him. It swooped for the nearest marsh pool, and the black water leaped into a blaze of whiteness for just an instant. Then there was a small, dying sizzle. When Sophie hobbled over, Michael was standing, watching the last light fade out of a little round lump under the dark water. That was sad, Sophie said. Michael sighed. Yes, my heart sort of went out to it. Let's go home. I am sick of this spell. It took them 20 minutes to find the boots. Sophie thought it was a miracle they found them at all. You know, Michael said, as they trudged dejectedly through the dark streets of Port Haven. I can tell I'll never be able to do this spell. It's too advanced for me. I shall have to ask Howell. I hate giving in, but at least I'll get some sense out of Howell. Now this Letty Hatter's given in to him. This did not cheer Sophie up at all. Chapter 10 In Which Calcifer Promises Sophie A Hint. Howell must have come back while Sophie and Michael were out. He came out of the bathroom while Sophie was frying breakfast on Calcifer and sat gracefully in the chair, groomed and glowing and smelling of honeysuckle. Dear Sophie, he said. Always busy. You were hard at work yesterday, weren't you, in spite of my advice. Why have you made a jigsaw puzzle of my best suit? Just a friendly inquiry, you know. You jellied it the other day, said Sophie. I'm making it over. I can do that, said Howell. I thought I showed you. I can also make you a pair of seven-league boots of your own, if you give me your size. Something practical, in brown calf, perhaps. It's amazing the way one can take a step ten and a half miles long and still always land in a cowpat. It may have been a bullpat, said Sophie. I dare say you found mud from the marshes on them, too. A person my age needs a lot of exercise. You were even busier than I realized then, said Howell, because when I happened to tear my eyes from Letty's lovely face for an instant yesterday, I could have sworn I saw your long nose poking round the corner of the house. Mrs. Fairfax is a family friend, said Sophie. How was I to know you'd be there, too? You have an instinct, Sophie. That's how, said Howell. Nothing is safe from you. If I were to court a girl who lived on an iceberg in the middle of an ocean, sooner or later, probably sooner, I'd look up to see you swooping overhead on a broomstick. In fact, by now, I'd be disappointed in you if I didn't see you. Are you off to the iceberg today? Sophie retorted. From the look on Letty's face yesterday, there's nothing that need keep you there. You wrong me, Sophie. Howell said. He sounded deeply injured. Sophie looked suspiciously sideways. Beyond the red jewel swinging in Howell's ear, his profile looked sad and noble. Long years will pass before I leave Letty, he said. And in fact, I'm off to see the king again today satisfied Mrs. Nose. Sophie was not sure she believed a word of this, though it was certainly to Kingsbury, with the doorknob red down, that Howell departed after breakfast, waving Michael's side when Michael tried to consult him about the perplexing spell. Michael, since he had nothing to do, left too. He said he might as well go to Cesare's. Sophie was left alone. She still did not truly believe what Howell had said about Letty, but she had been wrong about him before, and she had only Michael and Calcifer's word for Howell's behavior, after all. She collected up all the little blue triangles of cloth and began guiltily sewing them back into the silver fishing net, which was all that was left of the suit. When someone knocked at the door, she started violently, thinking it was the scarecrow again. Port Haven door, Calcifer said, flickering a purple grin at her. That should be all right then. Sophie hobbled over and opened it, blew down. There was a cart horse outside the young fellow of 50, who was leading it, wondered if Mrs. Witch had something which might stop at casting shoes all the time. "'I'll see,' said Sophie. She hobbled over to the grate. "'What shall I do?' she whispered. "'Yellow powder, fourth jar along.' On the second shelf. Calcifer whispered back. Those spells are mostly belief. Don't look uncertain when you give it to him. So Sophie poured yellow powder into a square of paper as she had seen Michael do, twisted it smartly, and hobbled to the door with it. There you are, my boy she said. That'll stick the shoes on harder than any hundred nails. Do you hear me, horse? You won't need a smith for the next year. That'll be a penny. Thank you. It was quite a busy day. Sophie had to put down her sewing and sell, with Calcifer's help, a spell to unblock drains, another to fetch goats, "'and something to make good beer. "'The only one that gave her any trouble "'was the customer who pounded on the door in Kingsbury. "'Sophie opened it red down "'to find a richly-dressed boy "'not much older than Michael, "'white-faced and sweating, "'wringing his hands on the doorstep. Madam Sorceress, for pity's sake!' he said i have to fight a duel at dawn tomorrow give me something to make sure i win i'll pay you any sum you ask sophie looked over her shoulder at calcifer and calcifer made faces back meaning that there was no such thing ready-made That wouldn't be right at all, Sophie told the boy severely. Besides, dueling is wrong. Then just give me something that lets me have a fair chance, the lad said desperately. Sophie looked at him. He was very undersized and clearly in a great state of fear. He had that hopeless look a person has, who always loses at everything. I'll see what I can do, Sophie said. She hobbled over to the shelves and scanned the jars. The red one, labeled Cayenne, looked the most likely. Sophie poured a generous heap of it on a square of paper. She stood the human skull beside it because you must know more about this than I do, she muttered at it. The young man was leaning anxiously round the door to watch. Sophie took up a knife and made what she hoped would look like mystic passes over the heap of pepper. You are to make it a fair fight, she mumbled. A fair fight, understand? She screwed the paper up and hobbled to the door with it. Throw this in the air when the duel starts, she told the undersized young man, and it will give you the same chance as the other man. After that, whether you win or not depends on you. The undersized young man was so grateful That he tried to give her a gold piece. Sophie refused to take it, so he gave her a two-penny bit instead and went away, whistling happily. I feel a fraud, Sophie said as she stowed the money under the hearthstone, but I would like to be there at that fight. So would I, "'crackled Calcifer. "'When are you going to release me "'so that I can go and see things like that?' "'When I've got even a hint about this contract,' Sophie said. "'You may get one later today,' said Calcifer. "'Michael breezed in toward the end of the afternoon. "'He took an anxious look round,' to make sure Howell had not come home first and went to the bench, where he got things out to make it look as if he had been busy, singing cheerfully while he did. I envy you being able to walk all that way so easily, Sophie said, sewing a blue triangle to silver braid. How was Mark? My niece. Michael gladly left the workbench and sat on the stool by the hearth to tell her all about his day. Then he asked about Sophie's. The result was that when Howell shouldered the door open with his arms full of parcels, Michael was not even looking busy. He was rolling around on the stool laughing at the duel spell. Howell backed into the door to shut it and leaned there in a tragic attitude. Look at you all, he said. Ruin stares me in the face. I slave all day for you all. And not one of you, even Calcifer, can spare time to say hello. Michael sprang up guiltily, and Calcifer said, I never do say hello. Is something wrong? asked Sophie. That's better, said Howell. Some of you are pretending to notice me at last. How kind of you to ask, Sophie. Yes, something is wrong. The king has asked me officially to find his brother for him. With a strong hint that destroying the witch of the waste would come in handy too. And you all sit there and laugh. By now, it was clear that Howl was in a mood to produce green slime at any second. Sophie hurriedly put her sewing away. I'll make some hot buttered toast, she said. Is that all you can do in the face of tragedy? Howell asked. Make toast. No, don't get up. I've trudged here laden with stuff for you, so the least you can do is show polite interest here. He tipped a shower of parcels into Sophie's lap and handed another to Michael. Mystified, Sophie unwrapped things. Several pairs of silk stockings, two parcels of the finest cambric petticoats with flounces, lace, and satin insets, A pair of elastic-sided boots in dove gray suede, a lace shawl, and a dress of gray watered silk trimmed with lace that matched the shawl. Sophie took one professional look at each and gasped. The lace alone was worth a fortune. She stroked the silk of the dress, awed. Michael unwrapped a handsome new velvet suit. You must have spent every bit that was in the silk purse, he said ungratefully. I don't need this. You're the one who needs a new suit. Howell hooked his boot into what remained of the blue and silver suit and held it up ruefully. Sophie had been working hard, but it was still more whole than suit. How selfless I am, he said. But I can't send you and Sophie to blacken my name to the king in rags. The king would think I didn't look after my old mother properly. Well, Sophie, are the boots the right size? Sophie looked up from her odd stroking. Are you being kind, she said, or cowardly? Thank you very much, and no, I won't. What ingratitude, Howl exclaimed, spreading out both arms. Let's have green slime again. After which, I shall be forced to move the castle a thousand miles away, and never see my lovely Letty again. Michael looked at Sophie imploringly. Sophie glowered. She saw well enough that the happiness of both her sisters depended on her agreeing to see the king with green slime in reserve. You haven't asked me to do anything yet, she said. You've just said I'm going to. I want you to do a very delicate job, Hal explained, so that the king will go on giving me work like the transport spells, but not trust me with anything like finding his brother. You must tell him how I've angered the Witch of the Waste and explain what a good son I am to you, but I want you to do it in such a way that he'll understand I'm really quite useless." Howell explained in great detail. Sophie clasped her hands round the parcels and tried to take it all in, though she could not help thinking, if I was the king, I wouldn't understand a word of what the old woman was driving at. Michael, meanwhile, was hovering at Howell's elbow, trying to ask him about the perplexing spell. Howell kept thinking of new, delicate details to tell the king, and waving Michael away. "'Not now, Michael. "'And it occurred to me, Sophie, that you might want some practice in order not to find the palace overwhelming. "'We don't want you coming over queer in the middle of the interview.' "'Not yet, Michael.' So, I arrange for you to pay a call to my old tutor, Mrs. Pentstemon. She's a grand old thing in some ways, she's grander than the king, so you'll be quite used to that kind of thing by the time you get to the palace. By this time, Sophie was wishing she had never agreed. She was heartily relieved when Howell at last turned to Michael. Right, Michael, your turn now. What is it? One of his eyebrows shot up. I tried it as a puzzle, and I tried doing it just as it says, Michael explained. But Sophie and I couldn't catch the falling star. Great gods above, Howl exclaimed. He started to laugh and bit his lip to stop himself. But, Michael, this isn't the spell I left for you. Where did you find it? On the bench, in that heap of things, Sophie piled round the skull, said Michael. It was the only new spell there, so I thought... Howell leaped up and sorted among the things on the bench. Sophie strikes again, he said. Things skidded right and left as he searched. I might have known. No, the proper spell's not here. He tapped the skull thoughtfully on its brown, shiny dome. Your doing, friend? I have a notion you come from there. I'm sure the guitar does. Er, uh, Sophie, dear. What? said Sophie. Busy old fool. Unruly Sophie. Said Howell. Am I right in thinking that you turned my doorknob black side down? and stuck your long nose out through it. Just my finger, Sophie said with dignity. But you opened the door, said Howell, and the thing Michael thinks is a spell must have got through. Didn't it occur to either of you that it doesn't look like spells usually do? Spells often look peculiar, Michael said. What is it really? Howell gave a snort of laughter. Decide what this is about. Write a second verse. Oh, Lord, he said and ran for the stairs. I'll show you, he called as his feet pounded up them. I think we wasted our time rushing around the marshes last night, Sophie said. Michael nodded gloomily. Sophie could see he was feeling a fool. It was my fault, she said. I opened the door. What was outside? Michael asked with great interest. but Howell came charging downstairs just then. I haven't got that book after all, he said. He seemed upset now. Michael, did I hear you say you went out and tried to catch a shooting star? Yes, but it was scared stiff and fell in a pool and drowned, Michael said. Thank goodness for that, said Howell. It was very sad, Sophie said. Sad, was it? Said Howell, more upset than ever. It was your idea, was it? It would be. I can just see you hopping about the marshes, encouraging him. Let me tell you, that was the most stupid thing he's ever done in his life. He'd have been more than sad if he'd chanced to catch that thing. And you... Calcifer flickered sleepily up the chimney. What's all this fuss about? He demanded. You caught one yourself, didn't you? Yes, and I... Howell began turning his glass marble glare on Calcifer. But he pulled himself together and turned to Michael instead. Michael, promise me you'll never try to catch one again. I promise, Michael said willingly. What is that writing, if it's not a spell? Howell looked at the gray paper in his hand. "'It's called song, and that's what it is, I suppose. "'But it's not all here, and I can't remember the rest of it.' "'He stood and thought, as if a new idea had struck him, "'one which obviously worried him. "'I think the next verse was important,' he said. "'I'd better take it back and see.' He went to the door and turned the knob black down. Then he paused. He looked round at Michael and Sophie, who were naturally enough both staring at the knob. All right, he said. I know Sophie will squirm through somehow if I leave her behind, and that's not fair to Michael. Come along, both of you so I've got you where I can keep my eye on you. He opened the door on the nothingness and walked into it. Michael fell over the stool in his rush to follow. Sophie shed parcels right and left into the hearth as she sprang up too. Don't let any sparks get on those she said hurriedly to Calcifer. If you promise to tell me what's out there, Calcifer said. You had your hint, by the way. Did I? said Sophie. She was in too much of a hurry to attend.